0: Hi, everyone. I am your host, Lindsay Smith, for this episode of The Agronomists. Uh, Joining me tonight, before I bring in my guests, joining me tonight are two um, very fun people that it's their first time on the show. So I am very excited. Hola to Warren uh, Schneckenberger. Um, I guess we're feeling our feeling our oats out there in eastern Ontario. I did want to a a tip of the hat, of course, last week we had Dan Pecker um, and uh, Dave Hooker and we talked all about red clover and of course that completely alienated the West. So here we are bring it on home. We've got a whole episode for our Westerners because yes, we know that Eastern Canada stores grain, but frankly it's just a much bigger um, undertaking in the West. So tonight that is what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about grain storage. um, We're gonna talk about conditioning grain. We'll talk a little bit about grain drying, I'm sure. um, But yes. So before we get started though, of course, I do wanna remind everybody that you can uh, qualify for CEU credits if that's your jam, Um, just head over tomorrow to realagriculture.com slash agronomists and let us know you watch the episode um also Kara has already noticed that on a scale of one to humid how humid it is it and yes it is incredibly humid and hot and sweaty and sticky here in ontario um, unlike the west of course that uh, parts of it got some rain for the last couple days and we i'm sure are going to talk a little bit about that but uh yes thanks Kara. if you could send fans That'd be great. Okay, I'm going to bring in my guest, one from Manitoba, one from Saskatchewan. So look at that. I'm sure there'll be some CFL banter happening shortly. Uh, but joining me now, we'll have Sean Senko with the Canola Council of Canada and Lauren Grieger with Pammy. Did I say it right, Lauren?
1: You did. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, well I done. tried. Okay, yeah. Okay, so mostly that was my apology for you're in Portage the Prairie right now. So sorry. Yeah, sorry about your luck. Um, And Sean joining us from Saskatoon. Right, Sean? There and abouts. All right. Okay. So uh, because it is both of your first time on The Agronomist, Sean, I'll start with you. Quick introduction, who you are, of course, with the Canola Council. Um, What is? Do you have a specialty with the Canola Council?
2: Yeah, um, a few. um, Harvest Management um, and Weeds are my two uh, specialties. So...
0: OK, and and what is your favorite stage of canola to scout?
2: Oh, boy, that's, um, I guess, um, just after seating is the that's when you see what you've done. So,
0: yeah. OK, no one's going to say, like, full potting anyway, you <laughs> can't walk through it. OK, and Lauren, um, of course, with Pammy in Portia Prairie. But uh, tell tell our uh, audience a little bit about yourself as well.
1: Sounds good. Thanks, Lindsay. Lauren Grieger, I'm an agricultural engineer, I have worked with PAMI almost uh, 19 years in various parts of the business, doing ag research, a lot in the harvest and uh, grain storage part and portion of the research that we have done at PAMI. And now I'm doing some of the extension work on the grain storage side on behalf of the organization.
0: Okay. And that, of course... Um, brings us to today's topic and to tonight's topic Um, you know obviously a a kind of a bizarre year already it's been incredibly difficult for many producers Um, we'll get into a bit about you know conditioning grain and these sorts of things but Sean just to catch us up of course you work in the Saskatoon area Um, what uh, so harvest of course has started there for some of the earlier crops Uh, how are things looking there right now?
2: Well, um, harvest-wise, it started out really. As far as storage goes, I thought there's going to be no storage um, talk at all. Um, I farm as well, um, an hour east, and uh, got through some of the cereals, wheat, and it was dead dry. You know, we had no rain for a long time, and in the last week things just completely flipped around here now. So um, we're we are getting rain now. Um, so I'm expecting um, probably some tougher grain coming off, and because of the severe drought, probably some second growth in the uh, in the grains as well. So um, we've gone from very boring storage um, year to maybe be a bit more of an interesting one not in a good way though. Okay
0: well is interesting ever good that's one (laughs) of those one of those words that sometimes (laughs) I wonder can it be good interesting all right and Lauren of course uh, you you are in Manitoba Uh, I did mention uh, you know some rain has fallen in certain areas yeah so uh, so catch us up on what things are like there.
1: Yeah no most of the cereals are off and canola is down right now and I You know, it's interesting when you look at the years and hopefully storage is a very boring subject. We don't want to have any surprises. We want this to be just a real part of the routine of of every day, every uh, harvest season. Um, Take me back a little bit to 2019 where it was quite dry in 2019, getting into canola close to Labor Day weekend. And then it started to rain and didn't really stop raining uh, in 2019 and storage became more of a topic. So up to this Mm -hmm. point, we haven't been talking about this, but it's one of those things that, as the weather changes and there's the opportunity to see uh, some changes in the, in, in managing the crop, that's when the conversation start again and being ready to, to answer questions on your own and making sure you're prepared for any, any seasonal variation that can come even in a year that hasn't had a lot of rain up until this point
0: hmm. Now, I, and, and that's just it. We, we did have, of course, excessively dry conditions in some areas, but yeah. but to a dry bias in many. Um, one of the things that I've seen coming in, and I don't know if either of you can comment on this, but seeing a lot of crickets and or grasshoppers in the grain in the combine hopper, are those going to cause an issue in the bin? Sean, I'll start with you. If I have a lot of them.
2: Yeah, there's definitely um, it's patchy. Um, there, there's areas with um, with definitely um, hoppers, and um, yeah, I've heard a, a large number of crickets. So um, you know, a large amount can cause can cause a problem in the bin. They're um, they're definitely not uh, good for storage.
0: And what would you say is the best way to get rid of them? Because I have ideas, but I don't think any of them actually work.
2: Oh, that's uh, I mean it. Typically, the number isn't um, large enough to be that much of an issue. I mean, you, I I have seen them cleaned out in um, in um, really bad years with something like a, a scalper, or, you know, like a, a quick cleaning system before you store mm-hmm. it. But um, I don't know if there's, I mean, it's early here yet. I haven't heard of any samples getting that bad to that point yet. But, um, you know, I, I may just not have heard of them. Mm-hmm. Lauren?
1: Uh, and when, I don't have anything else to add from what Shauna said. You hope there isn't that many in the bin that would cause an issue, but again, those are something to wait and see here and making sure it's a reasonably clean sample whenever possible.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I'll, I'll tell you that my solution is just calling it extra protein and just <laughs> rolling it in. So just <laughs> go with
1: acronym.
0: it. That's, that's right. I mean, people want us to switch away from meat. They're high protein. Let's just do it. So... <laughs> Uh, We just need the marketing for it. So if somebody could solve that problem, I think everything will be fine. Um, Okay, so that's what we're going to work on. All right, I I, I do want to start with, and um, I do want to start with a clip relatively early in the program. The two of you are new here, but you will I'll have you know, I have a hard time getting to the clips. Um, I tend to talk too much and we get off on tangents and then it's the journey to the next clip. Um, but uh, Jay, producer Jay, I, I do want to sort of set things up because I want to actually start this conversation and making sure our bins are ready. And then of course that conversation of yes, bringing in either hot grain or of course, when we get into tough grain. So uh, this is a clip with uh, Angela Brackenreed, your coworker, Sean, um, on on starting with clean bins and and sort of those initial considerations of storing canola especially.
4: Yeah, so there's kind of um, the basics of canola storage that, that I think we've all heard over and over again, but it's a good reminder of... Um, First of all, for, for preparing bins, uh, we don't want to be putting canola into any into bins that have had any malathion in this season. Uh, so just a reminder there. Um, also, when once we get canola into those bins, I don't know that there's a lot really in bins across the prairies yet, but once they're in there, uh, we want to be conditioning it immediately. Canola has the tendency to have a pretty high respiration rate for you know, three to six weeks after binning. And we want to condition it down to somewhere around 8% moisture content, ideally less than 15 degrees Celsius for long-term storage. And what are you guys recommending as far as supplements? Of heat? Like what, what sorts of things that the was sure. asking? Yeah. So so those are the basics of storage that make it sound like this is pretty simple. Um, but then there's the all of the the in-between, um, all of the kind of gray areas and, and, and unknowns that um, really make canola storage not that straightforward. <laughs> so like you mentioned, we're a little bit later, um, starting with canola harvest, particularly in Manitoba, than we're used to. We don't have great conditions for uh, natural air drying with just our fans. Um, so supplemental heat becomes a great tool to kind of extend our good drying days or or create good drying conditions if we don't have them naturally. So that's when I'm talking about supplemental heat, I'm talking about just adding uh, a fairly low temperature heat source to our um, aeration fans or natural air drying fans. So a couple kind of general rules of thumb with supplemental heat is uh, we don't want to add really any more than 10 to 20 degrees Celsius Um, and we at the inlet we don't want the temperature to to be much more than 30 degrees Celsius and the reason for that is we're dealing with pretty low airflow rates with our NAD fans or aeration fans Um, and if we're adding more heat than that we run the risk of potentially like physically inducing heating of the canola at the inlet, but also just massively over drying the bottom of the bin and not really reaching the upper layers of that bin. So also to to think about is, do you have adequate airflow when we're adding supplemental heat? I mean, that's important with our our NAD fans as well, but becomes even more important when we're adding heat. So we want to see at least one cubic Cubic foot per minute per bushel, CFM per bushel. And I mean there'd be no harm in being higher than that, but but at least be at one. Um, so the the general rules: one CFM per bushel, um, not much more than 30 degrees at the at that inlet. Um, and should be trying to turn those bins ideally every couple, three days if we're adding heat. Um, and then of course like usual, just monitoring those bins.
0: I was taking notes and also noticed Angela's cat. So we were talking earlier about pets bombing um, in two videos and I didn't notice when I previewed that clip but um, Angela's cat joining. The- okay, so fantastic. I love it. It's fa- it's pretty great. Okay, um, so this of course sets us up sort of for this discussion. So Shauna, I do want to start with you on the clean bin topic just as that reminder we need it every year just to make sure that anything that is going to have canola gets cleaned out and you know the history on that bin, correct?
2: Yes. Yeah. And the, and the key point is, I mean, we don't see a lot used anymore, but we definitely don't want melathion um, in any of the bins. Um, it's just a, an export issue. So um, we don't, uh, we got to make sure we, we know the history. We haven't got anything in those bins.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, what about just like tidiness in general? And I know we all love cleaning bins, but how important is it to start with a tidy bin?
2: I, I mean, it, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, you know, one, you just don't want any extra foreign matter in there, dockage. Um, you know, it, usually the stuff left around the edges and that can be uh, higher moisture as well. So that's going to be a starting point for any any spoilage um, possibly from that. So, you know, getting rid of that uh, is key. And um, not a lot of pests that actually bother canola, but um, you definitely don't want to be starting with any in the bin if you can help it. So, um, you know, making sure that's free of that as well. So just, just getting it that good start.
0: Hmm. All right. And so one of the points that Angela makes, of course, is that a crop once put in the bin and with canola, she uses the example that it will respire for several weeks after it's put in that bin. Lauren, if you're comfortable with this, I mean, can you, I mean, that's canola, but every crop obviously has this sort of window of time right before it acclimatizes in that bin. So how important is it to sort of know what you're, what you're putting in the bin and being able to manage it from that point on.
1: Uh, That's an excellent question, Lindsay. I think that's one of the things that I try and always uh, talk to is making sure you have a plan, understanding what the condition of your grain is so that you can effectively manage it once it's in the bin. Uh, It's always a key to get it down to the moisture content you're looking for, but also it's a combination of temperature uh, as well, in addition to that moisture. So those are the two keys for long-term safe storage, dry plus cool. Less than 15 degrees Celsius is always that target for grains, making sure that you've gotten a consistent airflow through that bin in order to dry down that, dry or cool down the grain mass to make sure it's less than 15 degrees for long term. Uh, Especially important with canola because of the respiration that it does and making sure that you can uh, condition that through an aeration at the very least to cool off the grain. But if it's tough, then to also take out some moisture in addition to having it cool at the end of the entire process. So, understanding that's very important though and knowing what you have to do in order to make sure that you get to that end and safe storage condition
0: mm-hmm. now sean when you know angela also mentions of course turning that bin so this is natural air drying but this is with supplemental heat which we're going to get into quite a bit more in a bit but um the importance of turning that bin should you be turning the bin even if you're just using natural air drying with canola and if so how often
2: it depends a bit on the size of the bin but what I mean the rationale behind it is it, it dries from the bottom right so you're going to have really dry grain on the bottom and it's um it's going to be kind of gradient going up um so you don't want to have you know 5 6% moisture on the bottom and 10 at the top when you're done so um every few days is um kind of the rule of thumb with most bins um to turn it to kind of get that mixture back up and and dry it evenly
0: Mhm um Now you mentioned, of course, out your way that it was quite dry, but conditions have shifted slightly to to wetter. Maybe some re-wetting. So how how do you suggest that farmers sort of handle that um, that situation when putting canola in the bin?
2: I definitely monitoring what's coming off. Um, You know, we've gone from probably would have been overly dry grain now to um, usually the biggest danger is coming out of. um, Weather like this, you keep trying, you know. Oh, I'm a day too early, and suddenly you've got a, something on the truck that is, you know, 13, 14, and um, it's got to go somewhere. So you dump that in the bin, and then you get going the next day, and maybe it's closer to 10. But canola's got those pockets, and um, you got to be really careful when you get that tough grain in there because it just takes a starting point to, to cause you problems. So if you do have something like that, you know, get it in the bin, get the, the air on it, get it, if you got some of the heat, get it drying. But then also you'll have to turn it as well if you've got um, any, you know, large differences when it's going into the bin between moisture.
0: Okay. So, Lauren, I do want to talk a little bit now about, first of all, anyone who sees NAD and actually says NAD, Natural Air Drying, I was glad that someone reminded me what it was because I had no idea. Um, yeah, so, but um, let's talk a little bit about that supplemental heat. Because, mm-hmm. Lauren, of course, this is something that you, you've done lots of work on. There's always this question of, okay, if air isn't enough, but we're not putting it through a grain dryer, the supplemental heat is the somewhere in between. So it, That's right. But obviously, obviously, we need to be safe in doing this. So, so what Correct. do we know about
1: that? Well, I guess there's a couple things to always consider. One, first of all, being that the temperature is what drives the moisture from inside the kernel to the outside, and your airflow extracts that moisture now that you've removed from the kernel out of your grain mass. So it's that combination of heat to extract the moisture, but also the airflow in order to get it out of your bin. That's the, Making sure that you have airflow is really key, and Angela touched on that with that one cubic foot per minute per bushel airflow rate. Um, first step is always understanding your system, knowing what your airflow rate is, and for the volume of grain that you have, um, err on the side of caution and make sure that you have enough airflow rate to have that kind of a consistent airflow through that grain mass. It may mean not filling the bin up fully. Those are a couple things that we found with some of the research work that we've done looking at some of the, the low-speed centrifugal fans and large bin sizes that you may stall your fan out if you're overfilling it. So. First step is understanding your system, what you can accomplish with natural air drying in itself. The second part to the natural air drying equation is, and now I know what my fan is, how much airflow I have, what are good conditions for drying without having to add heat? And that's where you get into the equilibrium moisture content, your EMC charts as we affectionately call them in the engineering side. Everybody loves EMC, right?
0: Everyone.
1: Everyone, that's right. No, so one of the <laughs> no. understanding that combination of temperature and relative humidity and what that, if you blew that consistent air through the grain, what would that bring the grain down to in terms of moisture content? And if it's not the right combination, then you have to adjust that incoming air. The simplest way to do that for bin systems is adding heat. So that's where we call the supplemental heating. It's a little bit of heat. It's not too much but it can be enough to turn, say, a a cool fall day into a good summer day. And that's the thought process and the theory behind it. By adding 10 degrees Celsius air, I've cut my relative humidity in half. So there's that relationship. By By adding heat, I've reduced my humidity in my air so I can extract moisture from the grain inside that bin. So those are a couple of the keys that are really important to make sure that you have Squared away and have a system ready to go in the event that you get into some of those maybe tougher conditions of grain in the bin and be able to handle it uh, when it comes off the field.
0: See, this is a fantastic explanation because I'll be honest, and we're—I'm going to play the clip with Joy Agnew in, in a little while okay. where she talks about, you know, is Drer, is air dryer at night? Yeah. yeah, and talking about you know the big cup and the little cup and the what? And we're gonna, right. uh, we are going to watch it because it is good, but Sean. Do you I mean, I, my brain doesn't always work this way. And when we're talking about relative humidity, and then we're talking about, you know, cooler air temps and warmer air temps, and then we add heat. I I mean, how, how do we simplify this in, in the case of wanting to make sure that we're obviously doing a good job getting that bin to a safe temperature and moisture, but you know, being clear in what needs to happen so that we're not over drying grain or cooking it or or those sorts of things. How do we how do we broach what can be quite complicated?
2: Oh, um, I think Lauren mentioned the charts are a good starting point, um, you know, knowing what um, what temperature and moisture or humidity air has got the capability of drying um and just knowing what that's going to be doing and to that uh grain in the bin so um you know that that'll help determine how fast you have to turn that bin so um if it's um you know got a, a large capacity to dry that grain on the bottom of the bin is going to dry really fast um you're probably going to want to be turning that bin sooner than you would if you've had um you know a little not quite as good a drying days um you you won't tend to see that bottom base drought as fast so um that's about the best I can do for trying to explain it, I guess. Um I just...
0: This is this is why we have people who devote their whole career to figuring this stuff out. Because it's because it's really complicated. Um and realistically it also, you know, often is happening at a time where, you know, the the monitoring and I don't want to call it babysitting because it's a really important job, but the monitoring happens long after harvest right and the and the work that goes into getting that crop safe to store continues for quite a few weeks i mean it's it is a it is a bit of a marathon and especially in you know maybe in a a better production year than we're having this year out west there's a there's a lot of crop to care about so i mean it it is a pretty complicated undertaking to make sure you've got all those bins where they need to be um we will talk maybe a bit about bin monitoring and and some of the technology that's out there but um it certainly does help but because we are on this topic of equilibrium and stuff I, i we're gonna go to this we're gonna go to this clip of of with joy agnew um because she she was busting some myths and Lauren you're probably very familiar with some of these and one of them that you know so is air drier at night and so this brings up the question if you're just using air drying do you leave your fans on or do you turn them off so we're going to answer some of those questions after but let's
3: watch this clip with Joy Agnew first is air at night drier than air during the day?
5: Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of talk For about sure. that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of different opinions about that. Yeah. So in my
3: presentation, I show that if you look at the physics behind it and you look at air's capacity to hold moisture and how much water it's currently holding, um, it is in fact true that air at night is drier than air during the day because it's physically holding less water, less grams, grams of water. And that's completely against kind of the general um, feeling about it because at night, you know, the air feels clammy and, you know, the dew is falling and it just doesn't seem like air at night is drier, but it physically is. It's just that it's closer to saturation and that's why it feels clammy, but it also... The saturation level is a lot smaller than during the day, so there's just physically less water in the air at night. So, but so, so
5: <laughs> what that means is that you the water is drier, but it's holding as much uh, the air is drier, but it's holding as much water as it can almost. That's right. Yeah, yeah
3: exactly. Um, but when it comes to drying grain, you're more concerned or interested in how much more water the air can hold before it becomes saturated. Okay. Because that's what's happening when you blow air through grain to dry it, is the grain is essentially pulling or absorbing water out of the grain and then taking it to the top of the bin. So it has to have capacity to hold that moisture. And, and that's air, why
5: they call it relative humidity, right? Relative to the amount of moisture it can hold. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. So when you look at, that, look at it from that perspective, I guess, then air during the day has a higher capacity to dry because it can physically hold more water before it becomes saturated. So that's that's sort of the the confusion around that night versus day, is that the air at night is drier, but the air during the day has greater capacity to dry.
5: You gave a really good example uh, earlier when you talked about uh, glasses and how much water could be in a glass uh, compared to how much water the glass should be be able to hold. You wanna just talk a little bit about uh, what what you said there? My,
3: My water glass analogy is basically showing that, you know, air during the day can hold more water, so it's a big glass, air at night is a smaller glass, and relative humidity is essentially percentage of full. So air during the day is a big glass, if it's a 50% humidity day it's half full, so that means there's still that much more head space to take up moisture. I also use the water glass analogy to illustrate how grain temperature affects the air's capacity to dry, because as soon as the air passes through grain, if the grain is a different temperature, um, the air temperature is going to change and it might change its capacity to hold moisture uh, depending on whether it cools or warms. So warm air, let's say a a big glass that's half full, if you pass that through cool grain, that air is going to cool off. And so the glass is going to shrink, but the water that was already in the glass has to go somewhere. And depending on how much water was in the glass and how small the glass shrinks, that water might actually spill over the edge.
5: So in other words, if you're putting warm air into a cold bin where the grain is actually cold, what can happen is that the moisture can come out of the air. Exactly. Even though it's, you know, when it it actually feels like it should be drier. Right. So then you can actually put moisture in the grain. And and part of the problem there is that that it's not mixed throughout the entire... Exactly, yeah. So you can create problems
3: theoretically yes uh luckily though that is a short-lived uh phenomenon because that really depends on the grain being cool to cool it down as soon as you pass warm air through grain for a certain period of time it's going to warm up and then you have you know big glass half full again so it's all right but i guess that illustration just i I see a lot of eye or eyebrows raised at that saying oh maybe i should not only run my fan for a couple hours at a time when the grain is cool because that's what's happening immediately after turning on the fan
0: I'll tell you. And Sean, I don't know if you've seen that clip before. And Lauren, I'm sure that you've I mean, this is stuff that you work at every day. But the more I watch that, the more it makes sense. So that's what we're here to do is that so I really this discussion ever this idea of okay, so warm air, of course, has the capacity to hold more water. And this is what we want, right? We want that air. To, to cool the bin, but also to move any excess moisture out of the bin. So that's what we want. That's so great. then this brings up the question. If you turn your fans on, do you just leave them on till it's done? Or do you turn them on when conditions are going to dry that grain? This is like, I feel like this is the age old question. So Lauren, I'll start with you. Sean, you have time to prepare your answer. Based on what <laughs> Lauren says.
1: <laughs> and it depends, actually, a little bit on what you're trying to accomplish. So it's unfortunately not as straightforward of a question as maybe as everybody hopes. There are a couple things that have to factor in. Where are you in terms of your uh, your grain condition? If canola, if it's respired, yeah, you want to get your fan on. You want to extract that additional moisture uh, that's coming off the canola seed itself. Um it, how long of a duration is the period where the conditions aren't ideal? If it's a couple hours, then most likely it's best to leave your fan on because of, of the value that you gain by having the airflow through the grain um, and condition it as well. If it's an extended period of time, though, yeah, it's probably time to turn the fans off if it's not ideal because you actually may be going backwards in what you're trying to accomplish. So, one of the things that I always stress is making sure you understand what you're trying to accomplish with your fan strategy. First, and then start making some of those decisions based on the factors that go in your ambient conditions. Where are you in terms of your conditioning inside the bin? If you're trying to if you're trying to dry or just cool, and some of those kinds of factors that go with it. But uh, definitely that the combination of warm air and the ability of, to extract moisture that's a that's a key concept that goes with uh, grain storage and bin. All right,
0: okay. and Sean, would you like to see growers? Turn those fans on. Would you like to see them run them longer, or or how do you make that call of no, I'm going to turn it off tonight or whatever, because we're close but not there. I mean, what factors in there?
2: Well, like Lauren mentioned, we'd, we'd like to see them stay on if possible. um You know, it's just stalling the drying is never a good thing. You can also have a moisture front kind of moving through the bin and. Uh, depending how long you leave it off for, you could actually have something start to happen in that. It can even stall the air from going through when you restart, depending how how wet that grain actually is when you're you're moving that moisture through. Um, so yeah, and you know for small events, um, I'd say just keep it running. You're not going to go backwards too much for those those small periods. But um, you know if the weather turns really bad for for a, a longer period of time. You really have to look at that um, you know that charts again you know when you're adding supplemental heat um, you know even if it is cooler um, but as lauren mentioned you you drop you raise the air 10 degrees and you drop the humidity in half maybe you're back to to decent drying conditions even under um, you know um, poorer conditions so you just have to know what what you're putting in the bin um, and if you're still able to dry then keep those fans going Mm
0: -hmm. Um, which actually brings us to so jason's question he's in manitoba um, and says, is there a maximum percent moisture by different crop type that you can just put in the bin and dry with just air or when you need to, so and when you need to fire up that supplemental heat or the dryer. So, so is there, Lauren, a, a relatively handy chart that will give you sort of crop type by moisture that probably just needs cooled?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Not that I'm aware of actually, so there's unfortunately maybe not quite an easy of an answer. It depends a little bit too in terms of capacity and how much time you have to spoil it. Um, Again, the sooner you can get to those dry conditions the better. That's the the less risky approach to uh, going through the process and that's where understanding what your capacity is for your bin systems uh, relative to when you need to get that dry in front through the grain Uh, compared to what other options that you have so
0: well and and there's moisture but then also temperature right so if you're putting hot right so if you're like these past hot weeks that we've had you still have to get that even if it's a safe moisture you still need to get the temperature down
1: that's correct the first step though is to get it dry so you want if you're if you're um, not dry dry your grain down and then cool it as that second step. So that's the first thing is to make sure you can get that process done, get the grain dry, then cool it off for longer term storage.
0: Okay. And Sean, what's the rule of thumb for canola?
2: Well, for, you know, just short term storage, um, you know, um, 10% moisture is fine if you're going to be moving it, um, you know, you've got contracts or, here, like this, there's definitely not going to be, um, you know, an, an abundance. So, um, I don't think we would trouble moving canola. I've been moving in the next few weeks. Um, you know, 10 moisture's fine, but anything longer term, um, you know, 8% moisture and, and under 15 and I usually like to say the colder, the better. If I'm storing canola over winter, I'm turning those fans on and uh, a really cold night and, and bringing it right down cold. Mm-hmm. I don't, uh, as far as I know, you can't get too cold.
0: So, okay. But that brings up my next question then. Um, you can freeze grain, of course, right? I mean, you—it does; it freezes. Um, what do you have to worry about in that reverse process potentially of when those bins start to warm up in the spring? Is there a chance of sec- of of spoilage happening when things start to warm up in the spring?
2: That was are you referring to me? Sorry, Lindsay, or?
0: yeah. Well, I just—you know—we always see those like those very nasty Twitter pictures of like bins that don't have snow on the top yeah. or right or you know something got away on them and then as things warm up things get bad so
2: yeah. yeah no it's usually i mean the grain's got a great insulation um you know that that core that bin will stay cold for a very long time but um you can have those um you know edges of the bin uh just from the sun will start to warm up so you, you still do have to monitor it um you know uh especially we've got um if some of the snowstorms, some will blow in on the cap or some will blow in from under the roof. Um, and you get those warm temperatures, maybe it runs down the side and the edge of the bin warms up. So yes, definitely even though it was cold and it's been stored cold, you can have problems. So you, you have to monitor it. I mean that um typically it'll be right into you know May, June. If it's cold, um the the, the majority of the bin will stay cold. But um, you know, yeah, there's always those um, cases where you can see something else going on. So you you have to have to be monitoring it.
1: Yeah, I just echo what uh, Sean's saying there. Some of the work that Pammy did with the Canola counts was trying to make that decision. What's best in springtime? Do you uh, leave your bin, just naturally warm up? Do you turn it? What's the best way? What we found was just leaving the bin and letting it warm up naturally is one of those, is the best way to at least risk leave warm the grain up in springtime, but make sure you're monitoring. That's one of the keys for any of the things that you're doing is monitor and and take away the risk by making sure you understand what's happening inside the bit because you can't always see there can be pockets. Some of those details become very important.
0: Absolutely. And so on that topic, of course, there are some very low tech ways to monitor all the way up to very high tech and getting alerts on your phone and you can, you know, do all these things remotely. So Sean, what would you say are, you know, some of the the best rules of thumb for monitoring? I mean, should, is it, should everyone be investing in temperature moisture cables? Is it better off to take, you know, a truckload out and do it that way? What, what's a decent rule of thumb for monitoring?
2: Well, you know, I guess all those systems work. It's just the, the, the amount of work involved in each one. Right. Um, with um, temperature cables, um, you know it's it's a bit less, but I, I still say even with cables, it um, you, you may need to check that bin, I've, or at least make sure the cables are working well and are secured properly. I've heard stories of where you know the cable wasn't um, properly secured to the bottom of the bin; they filled the bin, and the cable got pushed to the side, and everything looked great till um, till they went to unload the bin, and there were hot spots in there. So no matter what you're doing, it's still um, you know monitoring, making sure that um, what what's in there is in there. So um, if you've got a cable system, just make sure it's working properly and it's got the right amount of cables for the bin size. Um, so you're, you're monitoring that entire bin. And if you don't, um, yeah, to, uh, you know, making sure, depending what what that grain goes in at, um, you know, I always like to see the bin turn no matter what after harvest, just because um, there's green patches out there or, you know, you've gone through a weedy slough, or like I said, you've tried one day and it was too tough and um, that went into the truck. So I like to see canola at least moved once in the fall um, to to make sure it's it's been mixed and safe okay
0: um lauren do you does pammy do any have you you done any work on monitoring in different systems
1: uh we've done uh, some work in that area one of the keys just want to make sure that people are monitoring how you do it Uh, it depends on your risk level and what you want to invest in when you look at the cost relative to the information you gain a cable is a pretty good investment. When you look at the cost to a peace of mind that comes from that kind of a process and they aren't perfect though, the more the larger the bin, the more cables you need in order to uh, monitor that. But there are other systems out there as well, but regardless of how you're doing it, make sure you're monitoring and understanding what's going on inside that bin uh, throughout the season. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, absolutely. I And, Sean, you mentioned, you know, letting things warm up in and, and May and June and the easter thing. And I just think, is anyone going to have any canola left in the bin in May or June this year? Do we think? I don't know. It'll be worth, I can't even imagine what it'll be worth. You'll be putting six padlocks on that thing. Um, f- yeah, for sure. Anyway, it'll, it's going to be an interesting year. That's for sure. Okay. I want to get, I, I want to touch back to the supplemental heat thing again. Uh Lauren, you've got some really handy Pammy does has have a really great um info sheet that covers a lot of the questions. But one of the things I think that one of the pitfalls that can happen, of course, is too high a temp at <laughs> um at the fan and what happens. So so walk us through why sort of, you know, if ten degrees is good, well twenty must be better and hey, thirty is great.
1: Why not? So how really?
0: do we how do yeah, right? Like how do we decide and why is that sometimes a bad idea
1: well one of the things you have to be concerned about is how long it's not just the temperature but it's the duration of the temperature and the impact that you can have on grain quality and therefore that's the combination that you want to make sure we know what lower temperatures your impact on grain quality is uh, reducing the risk of that through that process and that's where the recommendations are typically uh, on that 20 degrees type of we have been involved the study with the uh, commodities in Alberta, w- monitoring uh, producers with their bins, and some producers are adding uh, more heat to the bin. One of the questions we haven't answered though is what is the impact on grain quality. So that's where you want to be careful. It's just that combination of of temperature for and the time. So I'm not, I'm not sure if it's on the screen here. Uh,
0: which or. which page would you like? We can bring up whichever one you want.
1: Uh, There's a couple, I think I'd start with the last page that has a lot of questions. So it goes through some of those in the bottom of the page you're looking at. And those are some of the recommendations. We're trying to limit the airflow rates or limit the temperature increase, again, for safety for the grain inside the bin, maintaining quality. Uh, There's a lot of questions that we've gotten um, and get consistently in fall time. So that's where we've developed this fact sheet is looking at uh, making sure that uh, producers have the best information they can to answer the questions on on uh, that side of things. So 30 degrees is kind of the max that we recommend, just because they don't have additional information at this point to say, yeah, you can go to 35 or 40 or 50, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. But again, it's that combination of temperature and how long the grain is at that temperature that you really want to be concerned about before that. And that's where you can get away with a with heated air drying or hot air uh, dryer you can go at it, use a higher temperature because it's not not in that temperature range as long. So that's the advantage to wow. air dryers is that short duration of the high temperature and extract some moisture really quickly.
0: So, but that of course brings up a whole other set of management options. That's
1: another management question, right. another option. And that's right. where the grain drying conversation, especially at this time of year, is making sure you have a plan. If we get into September, what am I going to do if the fall turns into that cool kind of fall and be prepared and going down that list? Eight, if this happens, I'm going to do this. If we get into a, a real tough condition, then I'm going to get into uh, a heated air drying system so that I know I can get that grain off, get it dried down and then cool it off uh, later on in the fall when you get to that uh, type of a, a process.
3: Um.
0: And and so, and I mean, Lauren, you might have a sense of this too, but Sean, I'll ask you in your your region and in, in the area that you're working in, are grain dryers increasing in frequency on the farms that you visit and work with?
2: I'd say, yeah, it, it's been, um, especially there were some um, bad years the the last few. So there were definitely some new grain dryers going up on farm, but also a lot of supplemental um, heaters have gone. Um, a lot of companies have started up in the last uh, few years and technology has come quite a, quite a long ways. Um, I've seen, a, even with the, just the supplemental heaters to to help this along, um, you know, it used to be, you simply had to turn them on and off by hand, then you could just set the temperature one thing. And now it's to the point where even with supplemental heat, you can say, I want this relative humidity and, the you know, the, dry, the heater will kick in and out and, um, and uh, to, just to hold that humidity. So it's, there's been a, a large increase in technology.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would echo that too, especially when you start talking about corn, then Definitely is going to be an increase in dryers. I guess in some of the presentations that we've done at PAMI and dealing with producers, the number of, of producers that have dedicated drying systems, I would say, is dramatically increased, especially when you get out to the west because of the the number of poor harvests of seasons we've had in a number of years in a row. So that. That combination of risk and and realizing the maybe having options is something that uh, has definitely impacted how you go make it about making that decision about whether it's worth investing uh, in a dedicated drying system.
0: And we've certainly, you know, with real agriculture here, we've we've done some of, you know, some of those discussions of, you know, what is the what is the economic discussion that happens to decide, you know, to actually invest because these are, you know, pretty expensive setups and those sorts of things. But realistically, if you are in a trend of three, four, five. You know tough harvests in a row they can more than pay for themselves absolutely um and uh, and we have joey here commenting that we dry corn down to 13.5 and beads at 12.5 and freeze we just try and get rid of our bins before july but corn we just core the bins in the spring and we'll keep it all season and so um i'm from out west but but living now in ontario and certainly you know here it, it's not so much that individuals have have dryers but I mean every delivery point has a major dryer and it does smell kind of delicious I'll be honest when it's running Um, but I mean that is just a fact of life here because of course corn harvest um, and even soybean harvest just happens so late so um, it is sort of a fact of life and and we do actually have a clip of that which I am going to get to Next, which I'm very proud of myself when I get to all three clips, so I'm giving myself a pat on the back. Uh, but Kara has a question here, and I, I feel like she's leading here a bit. Uh, Sean, what's the coolest storage drying technology you've seen in your travels? So where have you traveled that you've gone to see cool grain dry?
2: Oh boy, that's um, I've traveled quite a bit, but um, I don't know if I've seen anything much cooler than here in Western Canada. Um,
0: hey. Look at
2: that. I don't know. It feels like the last yeah. year I have no memory of being anywhere else except my house. So um Well <laughs> yeah, that
0: actually is probably accurate. <laughs>
2: uh, um, yeah. So you're closed, like, right? Yeah. Yeah, sorry I can't come with anything exotic, but just the, the technology increases I've seen over the just the last um couple of tough years. Um just the amount of even supplemental heaters with the, the technology increase now, everything automated. Um that's you know, uh I'd say that's some of the, there's some cool stuff right here in, in Western Canada.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Lauren, now you, you did say you've been at this almost 20 years. So <laughs> what has been one of the biggest changes for you in yeah. dealing with some of this technology?
1: I, I just echo a little bit what Sean is saying in Western Canada, the technology that's coming into the grain, drying and storage area, the automation that goes with it. Before we were talking about just leaving your fans on when we're, I was in school and there was a lot more hair at to the top of my head when I was in school that you, the, the rule of thumb was you just turn your fan on, leave it. But that's changed now with the automation and controls, partly too because of the economics that goes with it as well, where electricity has gotten more expensive. You have to factor in those kinds of considerations mm-hmm. when you look at the overall uh, grain drying equation. And the ability to automate to me is one of those things that just uh, takes some of the guesswork and answers some of these questions that producers typically have in the area to really make it a lot easier to manage that grain dry and storage uh, come fall time. Um, so uh, lots of, lots of larger grain storages too. you start looking at what's changed here, the size of bins. That's the one thing when you go past yard sites that the bins are big and there's lots of them and that's uh, definitely a change yeah. from what has occurred in the past. So, and then new technologies that go with it for monitoring too, like the grain, vis system, that's a quite a remarkable, novel system for managing and being able to visualize the moisture in three dimensions in the bins so yeah that's some really interesting technologies out there that can make a difference in terms of how you both monitor it but also how you market your grain too at the same time
3: Mm -hmm.
0: I still can't get over the size of some of the bins out west and the ones that have like the staircase that goes around them like there's some sort of you know like it just, it blows my mind and I mean, and I was used to seeing them, but it's funny because we're, we're of similar vintage, I think, Lauren, and, and certainly when I was in university, it was turn your fans on and leave them on.
3: That's so what it was. Yeah.
1: Just just, easy. That's what it just was. Turn your it was on.
0: simple. Yeah. It worked. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying it did
1: actually. It didn't necessarily work. <laughs> but but that that 20, it was bush- easy. 4,000 bushels. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it starts to change when you have 20,000 and so on. So yes. the, the and conversation. From
0: there, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we, we only have 10 minutes left and I promised both of you that this would go quickly. So I hope you feel it's gone as fast as, as, um, it has for me, um, as always. But, uh, the last clip I am going to bring in, this is my token Ontario, uh, clip. So this is about drying corn. This is about grain dryers. So we did mention them, uh, somewhat. So we will have a little chat about them. But, uh, Jay, if we could have the clip, uh, this is with, uh, James Dick with Omafra and Bern Tobin.
6: So, yeah, one of the things this year, Bernard, is obviously there was a lot of corn that was planted later this spring than guys otherwise would have wanted. The challenge then is trying to get it to market, trying to get it to maturity before you harvest it uh, on time and fully mature. The risk is if, if maybe you had a little bit of frost before it was fully mature, you could be taking a yield hit. You could see some corn that's a little bit lower quality, especially lower test weight, and that will impact the grade that you get and the price you get on delivery, especially if you're delivering it straight to an elevator, you don't have your own storage capacity, so that can be an issue. Yeah. So let's talk about drying I mean, and hitting that quality and managing that test weight. It really starts with, I guess, slow drying, right? That's right. So, um, when it comes to drying, as I said, if you take it to the elevator, you get what you get. If you have your own capability of drying it. Um, Actually, the speed you dry it at is pretty important and there's been some studies, some work that's shown that actually you dry it slower, you dry it at a lower temperature, you can actually increase your test weight. Now the reason for that is, quick physics lesson, um, the dry matter in your corn kernel is actually a little more dense than the water, so you evaporate some water, you make that kernel a little more dense, Um, you dry it slower, you actually, the density increases a little bit more, uh, just gives that moisture more time to migrate out, dry too quickly. Uh, the moisture can't migrate quick enough to actually cause the kernel to swell, your test weight can go down. Yeah. Talk about temperature, James. How important is it, you know, to actually not to be too hot, but dry that at, at the right temperature? So, temperature and speed of drying go hand in hand. Obviously, the lower your temperature, the slower it'll dry, the hotter, the faster. And uh, some work done in the 70s actually showed there was a pretty substantial difference between drying corn at you know, a high temperature like 180, 220 degrees Fahrenheit versus a low temperature like 70, 80 degrees Fahrenheit uh, made a difference of up to a couple of pounds per bushel in terms of the final test weight. Um, so that's enough to move at a grade level or even maybe two grade levels. If you're starting with really low quality corn, that can be a, a big factor. It might be a chance to get some low quality stuff, a grade or two higher so that when you actually take it to the market, you get a better price. Yeah. Any tips for growers on, you know, how to move it through the dryer, you
1: know, uh, and make sure you get a, a better shot of that quality and that great?
6: So, what I can recommend is, uh, if you're thinking about trying to tweak your own dryer temperature to sort of optimize it, start with what you would consider a normal drying temperature. That's going to depend on your type of dryer, whether it's continuous flow, batch, what have you. Let the dryer come to you, equalize, measure your test weight going in. Then let the dryer equalize and measure the test weight of the dry corn coming out. Uh, Have a look at those two numbers. Are they different? Was there a change? If you notice that the test weight increased, then try dropping your dryer temperature about 10 degrees Fahrenheit, five degrees Celsius. Let the dryer stabilize again, measure the test weight again. If it's increased again, then drop it another 10 degrees and keep repeating that cycle until you see the test weight level out then you know you've hit sort of an optimal range. You can probably bump your temperature up a few degrees at that point just to make it go a little faster, but that's, once you do that, you can really optimize the temperature and get your dryer. It'll drying a little slower, but your quality is going to be as good as you can get it.
0: So no cat in that one, but we did have an employee sneaking around the back, which always makes me happy. Um, okay, so I what I love about that clip, um, for one thing, is people standing next to each other back in the good old days. But also, you know, I found it really interesting that, of course, setting a dryer is going to be far more complicated um, than, you know, just just supplemental heat. But still, a lot of the same principles apply. And like you mentioned, Lauren, we have to be thinking about quality, not just getting this grain conditioned.
1: That's right. And that's one of the things to start with again, is looking at your temperature because that affects both how quickly it dries, but also the impact on grain, the grain quality itself and the shrinkage that goes with it. So you want to maximize that, uh, the revenue at the end. And that's a combination of making sure you got of get to that sweet spot and, and doing that in incremental steps. So you're not just trying to do it all at once, but finding that right combination of temperature to get that dry, dry uh, grain, but also the maximum value you can by by monitoring and adjusting your dryer for those kinds of operating conditions.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely, and Sean, as you mentioned, of course, with supplemental heat, I mean these systems have come a long way that you can you can dial them in far more uh, predictably than than when we first started out adding heat to fans.
2: Yes, uh, as I mentioned, you can monitor, you know, both the the moisture or the, uh, yeah, the the humidity coming in or your temperature um, and, you know, set it uh, accordingly throughout the day. Um, I think we talked about, um, you know, the air's capacity to hold moisture. So one thing in supplemental heat you'll find is you get later in the season, you get that hot air and cold nights. You can get a lot of condensation on the roof, the cold roof and raining back down to the bin. So you really need to watch that temperature on on times like that. Otherwise, you'll start to have... um, Spoilage along the edge of the bin, so it, it's important. There's a lot of dynamics going on, and making sure you you keep a uh, watchful eye on that.
0: How terrible does cooked canola smell? Like burnt canola? I imagine it's, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I imagine it is. I don't know. I don't have a ranking of like the worst ones. Although that is one thing. I have two things I want to I want to end with here tonight. um One of which is the fun one, so we'll start there um least favorite crop to work with in a bin setting sean i'll start with you of course you can't say canola because it's your job no, so you have to pick no. <laughs> something else on your farm what's your least favorite to deal with in a bin
2: oh probably um oats for itchiness i guess would be my shoveling oh. oats is bad
0: yeah it's not fun all right lauren how about you what which crop do you not love working with
1: double down with that on the oats you're itchy. it's, it's just itch your adults.
0: <laughs> Yet not. I thought barley would be worse. Also, Joey Joey says when I made a comment about burning canola, he says it smells expensive. Yes. Yeah,
1: that is true, That's exactly- it never happens, <laughs> that- so I don't know what it smells like, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: well, right, no, and unfortunately, yeah, uh, it's not a good smell. And yes, right now, wood smell very expensive. So one of the things I did want to end with, because, of course, we are talking grain storage, and I would be remiss uh, to not mention, of course, um, for everyone to be safe around bins, of course, in moving grain, in working in bins, and working around bins. We 100% need to make sure that we have safety top of mind. Entrapment happens increasingly incredibly quickly. Um, And of course, we're dealing with augers and trucks moving and all those sorts of things that uh, I did want to make sure that everyone is thinking about safety, of course, when we're when we're working in and around bins for sure. Um, We want everybody to have a safe harvest and get through this one and many more after that. So I did want to make sure that we've got uh, we've got a plug in that just as a reminder to everybody um and as a reminder of course we're back with the agronomist next week i don't have a topic yet so if either of you want to you know stick around after the show and let me know what we should be covering next that would be great um but i did uh want to say thanks of course so sean senko with the canola council out of saskatoon um and uh, lauren grieger i got it right Right with Pammy at a Portage Prairie. Wait, we've got um. Oh, one last question before we go. Jason wants to know: Is there a different way to dry oilseed crops like oil sunflowers versus other crops? Do either of you have any experience? Because of course, canola being an oilseed, I know we do have to worry. You know, it's it is an oilseed, so we treat it a little bit differently than our cereals. But uh, do we treat oil sunflowers like that too? Do either of you know?
1: haven't done a lot of, have a lot of experience on the sunflower side. Uh, and DSU has got the most information, I would say, in terms of uh, sunflowers and, and dry. Would be the place to look for that. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Allibank would be the place I would check it.
0: Yes. And I think we've even had him on the site once or twice. Um, Sean, do you grow sunflowers? I'm going to guess no. Unless you have like an Not Instagram long. patch. Yeah, no,
2: I don't. uh, I don't (laughs) see many around my travels in here. (laughs) No, there are many.
0: So there you go, Jason. Head on over to NDSU. All right, Lauren, Sean, thank you so much uh, for your expertise and for your time tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, And to everybody in the comments and for joining us, thank you so much. Um, And everyone, be safe and have a wonderful and safe harvest. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.
2: Thanks.